The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Hey, uh, grab your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to the beginning of the book of Acts. Um, If you don't have a Bible, stick a hand up nice and high. One of these fine gentlemen will make sure that you have one. If you do not own a Bible, uh, that is a gift to you. I pray that the Lord would use that to just minister to you and and teach you of himself, his goodness, his grace, his will. Um, Got a couple of announcements before we dig in today. Uh, First of all, I have some fantastic news for you guys. Do you guys remember last week we did a little bit of a love offering for the pregnancy center here in town? Um, I announced to you then that the church was making, we were making a corporate donation of $15,000 towards the Save the Storks bus program that's working out over there. Um, And then you guys gave in and above that after service and we were able to give a total of over $20,000 to the pregnancy center center this year. So praise God, right? Yeah. I'm so excited about that. Thank you for that. A um, couple other announcements. Uh, Financial Peace University, that's the Dave Ramsey thing, starts Tuesday the 19th. Space is limited, so make sure you get signed up for that at our website, heritagefellowship.net, or you can stop at the table on the way back and uh, ask some questions. Um, also, our Awanas and everything starts back up one week from Wednesday. There is no service this Wednesday night. There is no midweek service. Everybody say no service. There is no service this week, but our Awanas program kicks back up next Wednesday night. And on our Wednesday night Bible study, we're going to be starting a brand new series on spiritual disciplines and what it looks like just to walk out some of the things that the scripture implores us to do. The means by which the Bible has given us uh, opportunity to draw near to God. So we'll be doing that on Wednesday nights for a couple of months. So make sure you get plugged into that. That starts on January 6th. And then finally, Christmas clean sweep. We always have cheesy names for everything. Um, After service today, um, they're going to be taking down our Christmas decorations because it's what you do, right people? If you're in my neighborhood, it's what you do, right people? Okay, so so this is what we're going to do, but but here's what happened. Um, Kathy and Jonathan Johnston usually kind of lead the charge on that, and then uh, they had a little family thing that they were dealing with, so we are now short on help. So if you guys, um, if anyone could stick around afterwards, we really don't have all that much this year, um, just need a little help getting these things off and those other wood panels brought back up. So it'd be really, really great if some people could stick around and help out. Um, other than that, I think that's all. So Acts chapter 1. Uh, but we're not going to get there for a while. So uh, you, can, uh, you can rest there. We're going to have slides for some of these texts that we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, if it works out right, I went to our slide guy right before service and said, hey, what do we got, like two minutes on the countdown before service starts? Awesome. I have changes. So uh, hopefully I didn't bog him down so much that this becomes a video train wreck. If not, just everybody listen, okay? Um, you know, we didn't used to have slides, so we'll live. Amen. Amen. But uh, let's open up, if we can, in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord, to gather together the household of faith. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the joy of this season. I thank you, Lord, for family and friends that may be visiting today. I thank you, Lord, for those that are part of our family that are away with other family and friends and for the gift of friendship, the gift of family and and the ability to reunite with people that we've been away from in this season. And Lord, now we just take opportunity now to pause, to bow our heads, to give you glory and credit for everything from the gifts, the season, the, the ability to gather together, the freedom that we have, the resources that provide for that. Lord, every good thing we have comes from you. And Lord, we pause right now and just choose to acknowledge that. God, you're so good to us. Lord, frankly, we're whiny. We're discontent. We're so easily distracted looking at things we feel like we need or problems that might be ahead. But when we take the time to really consider and to really think, Lord, it's amazing how good you have been to your people. You're faithful and you always provide and we're thankful. And so God, right now we're gonna take time to open up your word. And I pray that God, as as we do that, as we consider some of these things, as we consider your imminent return, I pray, God, that you would just move in this place, that your spirit would move, that you would awaken hearts and affections, that you would open minds and hearts, that we would just see you for who you are, your glory, your goodness. 
that we might again have a, a renewed joy and excitement for you and that you would just speak to your people this morning. So God, as I pray always, we pray always, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, my rock, my king, my redeemer. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, did you guys have a good Christmas? Yeah? Uh, my grandmother used to have this famous thing. She's, she's with Jesus now, but, but we used to like make fun of her all the time because um, every Christmas around noon on Christmas Day, when the gift exchange was over and the lunch was over and we were sort of all sitting there together, she would eventually make the declaration. She'd say, well, it's over. And it sounded kind of like that. That's what she would say. Well, it's over. And we would laugh and call that the declaration that the holiday season, the Christmas season anyway, is over. And no joke, by the time we left that night, the tree would be gone. Like she didn't mess around. She took that stuff down and was really just ready to move on. And, and that happens though. The Christmas season does eventually fade away. Right now, we're still sort of in some of the excitement of it. I mean, school's out, the kids are around, maybe you took some time off work, maybe you used up some sick days you had left, whatever the case may be. You still got your gifts, the lights are still on the house, like there's excitement still from all those things, but we're inching closer and closer to normalcy. Eventually, it does fade away. The lights get put away. The gifts, as great as they are and as new as they are, eventually they become normal too. And, and so that buzz and that joy fades away. It doesn't last. But the book of Colossians warns us against this from the very beginning because Colossians tells us that these things are just a shadow of something much more significant and much more permanent. Colossians two sixteen says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The, the festivals, the, the season, the holiday that we have right now, it's great and it's fun and it's awesome, but, but it's not intended to be the end all. It's not intended to be the thing that we focus on. And it would be really depressing if that's what it was because you end up with, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, this kind of post-holiday letdown. They call it the holiday hangover, post-holiday depression. There's all sorts of names. There's actual things where people just get let down because you have so much hope. Oh, we're going to get the family together and it's going to be amazing. I'm going to get the gift I always wanted. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to give my loved one this gift that I've put so much into and their response is going to be amazing. Like there's going to be all these things and we're going to be full and happy and life's going to be what we wanted it to be for so long. And then when things fade or when the disappointments come, the gifts break. They didn't respond the same way that you thought they would to the gift that you got. Uh, you didn't get the gift in return and you're like, I, I, I put all this into that and you got me a gifts card? You know, th those kinds of things can be crushing if you put too much hope in that stuff. And, and so many people put so much hope in the holiday season that they're inevitably let down because the holiday itself is not designed to carry the hope that we put into it. It is a shadow to point us to something that is absolutely able and capable to carry and sustain all of our hopes, and that is Jesus Christ himself. Even the, the gifts that we give one another, the peace that we seem to enjoy during that holiday season, even the gathering together of family is something that should point us towards the fact that one day Jesus, our Prince of Peace, will come. He's going to eliminate sin. He's going to eliminate darkness. He's going to be, bring light into all of the world. There will be no more sin. He's going to gather his family together. All of these things that we enjoy in the holiday season point us to something much, much more substantial. Amen? So this is what the holiday season is for. And so we've been spending a month now on this, this idea, this Advent season. Advent just means the coming. This idea that Jesus came, but, but Advent in and of itself is not only intended to look at the fact that Jesus came. Because the idea is it's still a shadow pointing us towards the fact that he's coming. And so today we're going to spend some time just considering the idea that Jesus is coming again. And the first thing we should understand right away, if you're not aware of this before, is that, that Jesus, when he comes the second time, it's going to be really different than the first time. 
polar opposite kind of different. I mean, think about the Christmas season. Think about the nativities, the baby, the straws just perfectly laid out. The babies, they're all wrapped up in swaddling clothes. Mom and dad are sitting there looking all serene. The animals are quiet, even bowing. Gifts are coming. It's this beautiful, precious Thomas Kincaid kind of moment. That's nothing like the return. Let, let, me, let me take you there. This could jostle some of your understandings if you're not aware of this. Revelation 19 speaks about it, and it says this. Revelation 19, 11, And then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, on his head many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done signs by which he had deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Silent night. Right? It's a little different, right? It's a little different than what we're used to before. All is calm, all is bright, holy infant, so tender and mild. That's not exactly the same as tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. Eat the flesh of kings. From his mouth a sharp sword which is to strike down. I mean, we have baby Jesus we love wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now we have Jesus returning wrapped in a robe dipped in blood. It's a dramatic, dramatic difference. It's really different than the grace, mercy, and peace Jesus that is most often preached. Now, make no mistake. You cannot over-preach the grace, mercy, and peace of Jesus Christ. We could constantly do nothing but talk about the grace, mercy, and peace of Jesus Christ 24-7 for the rest of our existence. And we could never over-preach or oversell the grace, mercy, and peace of Jesus. But it is a reality that if we don't find ourselves in the grace, mercy, and peace of Jesus Christ, then we will experience when he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. This is real. And this is what the Bible says Jesus' return will look like. There, there's other passages too. There's, there's one that says the mountains will flee. It says that when Jesus comes, that people will see his return and they're going to go, uh-oh. And they're going to flee to the mountains to get away from him. But that the mountains themselves will flee Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but if the mountains are scared. I mean, like, I love to go run on Roxy Ann. And one of the things I love is running up to the top of Roxy Ann Peak and just getting to stop for a minute and just take in the view of the valley I never get tired of that. No matter how many times I look at it, I've snapped a million pictures. I just never get tired of standing on top and just looking out over the valley. It's a great opportunity to just pray and just, it's, we live in a beautiful place, amen? Never get tired of that. 
And it looks so high from there until you go to McLaughlin. You hike up McLaughlin, you have to find Roxy Ann. You know what I'm talking about? Those of you that have been there, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, wait a minute, is that Roxy Ann? That looks like a speed bump. Like, what is that? And, and what's Mount McLaughlin? Like, what, 9,000 feet? I've climbed 14,000 feet mountains twice. 14,000 feet mountains, like Shasta, for example, they look down with scorn on 9,000 foot mountains. Like they're tiny. They're nothing. Mountains make us feel so small. They're so big. In some cases, they're so dangerous. And if the mountain is afraid and running, it's probably not going to be silent night, holy night, when Jesus Christ returns. This is real. The scriptures tell us that there's going to come a day, and we just read it, when the heavens are opened. And, and the idea of that is not just like he just comes descending down, he's like really small, and then he's getting bigger, bigger and bigger, and you're like, hey, what is that? That's not the idea. The idea is more like a football team running through a banner at the beginning of the game. It's the skies are torn open, that he is erupting through the skies, onto the scene. I can still remember as a kid, when I was, I don't know, junior high, somewhere in there, I had this dream. You ever had one of those dreams It's just like a crazy, vivid dream that you just never forget? I've never had a dream that I've remembered any more than this one. And it was just a normal day. It was an evening. It was, it was kind of nighttime. It was dark. And all of a sudden, it's almost like there's just this explosion of light from this one area. I mean, like nuclear bomb type explosion. And in that moment, I knew it was him, that he had returned. And we were all going towards him, like almost being drawn towards him. It was this weird dream. And I remember feeling like excitement and awe and being terrified at the same time. I've never forgotten the vividness of that dream. And that, when you read the biblical accounts of the second coming of Jesus Christ, it's the kind of stuff that's described. It's in power. It's scary, it's violent and glorious and majestic to those that are in the grace, mercy, and peace of Jesus Christ. So church, and, and visitors, if you're with us, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm gonna be talking more specifically to the church today, to the people that are walking with Jesus, to the people that are part of the fellowship of faith, that, if, that if our followers of Jesus have been saved by Jesus, and, and you are very welcome to listen in. And I pray that even as you hear the things that we're talking about, that you would find yourself desiring to be in the grace, mercy, and peace of Jesus Christ, that you would come to us, let us talk with you and show you how that is possible because it is an open invitation. It's not some secret club. The, the, the grace of God is available to all who would seek it. But today, I'm going I'm to talk to the church a little bit. I want to remind you guys, this is real. What we just read here, skies bursting open on the horse, it's real. It's not going to be something where it's like, is that, I think that's sort of like a, is that a plane? What is that? No, in that moment bursting into the earth, everything we know, everything this earth knows will change. It's real. He's coming again. He's going to gather his church and then he's going to return to make war. And whether you want to, church people argue the timing of, well, it's the rapture and then there's going to be time. Or if you're a post-trib guy where you're like, it happens right then, doesn't matter. He's coming and it's real. And so, and so the question is this, if we know that's going to happen, like if you read those accounts and you believe, Jesus himself said, he's coming again. If you believe this, wouldn't that affect you? I think the first question we would probably have, or most people would have is, when, right? You'd like to know. You'd like to be prepared for something like that. When? Well, the Bible tells us that it's going to happen on a day kind of like any other day. People always want to know the day. They always want to ask when. And Jesus was even asked when. Has he taught about these things? When? Jesus, when will this happen? And Jesus told them, it's not for you to know. I don't even know. Only the Father in heaven knows. But he did describe some things about what that day would look like, what that world would look like. For example, in Matthew chapter 24, he responded with this. Concerning that day, or the day of his return, an hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. 
For as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake for you do not know on what hour your Lord is coming. So Jesus tells us this. He says, look, no one knows the day, but then he gives us some clues and he sort of describes that day. And the, and the one thing that we can see when we look at this, and, and look, people have made millions writing books, building ministries, trying to convince people that they actually know the day. So let me just encourage you, church, please remember but the next time that we're tempted to be drawn into some sort of blood moon prophecy, some sort of, it's going to be on this day, it's whatever the case may be, look, no one knows the day. Say it with me. No one knows the day. But, but we have been given some signs for what it will be like. And probably the first one that's worth noting, it's going to be a day. I mean, it's going to be a day just like any other day. I mean, look at the descriptions. People are marrying so there's people going to be planning weddings that day. There's going to be people having gatherings. Some people are going to have barbecues. It's just a normal day. Have you ever noticed how like days just sort of melt into one another? Have you ever noticed that? The holidays kind of show that, don't they? Because like all of a sudden you're like, it's Christmas. Like what happened? Like it just, it was like September yesterday. And somehow one day melted into the other day and melted into another day and melted. And now it's, it's like Christmas has just sort of happened. Well, as you get older, you start realizing like years melt into years, do they not? Amen? This is what happens. But every once in a while, something happens that wakes us up and shakes us out of the routine of it. Something changes. I, I'll give you an example. Where were you? Do you remember where you were the morning of 9-11 when you heard what was going on? You guys remember that? I was near here, actually. Um, our church didn't even exist yet. I was an engineer at the time, and I worked nearby. I had an office nearby, but uh, my car, I had a Subaru forever, and my Subaru had have something done on it. Scott, it might even been you that was working on my, so you works at the Subaru place, but I had a coworker meet me at the Subaru dealership so I could drop off my car, and, um, and so he came in over there, picked me up. I dropped off the car, and we were driving to the office, and he was just like, man, did you hear what happened? Now, I'm a Bronco fan. And the night before, Denver had played a football game, and on national television, Monday Night Football, um, Ed McCaffrey, you guys remember him, broke his leg, and it was like gnarly. It was one of those like, ugh, don't watch, play it again. Ugh, don't watch, it was one of those. And so he's like, did you hear what happened? And I'm like, oh, I know, man, uh, it was terrible. And I'm like talking about this football game. He's like, no, 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 something's going on in New York. I just heard about it, and he's turning on the radio. And it was, it was just a normal day. It was just a Tuesday. Went to work, went into the office, getting on the internet and turning on AM radio and listening to what's going on. And suddenly it's not just a Tuesday anymore, right? This is the way it's going to be. It's going to just be a day. There's going to be a day. You're going to be at work if we should be alive when the Lord returns. Whoever is alive when the Lord returns. It's just going to be a day. And the sky is going to rip open and everything's going to change. It's not going to be, what is that? Did we just see? no. Everything will change in a moment. But there's other passages that give us clues to what the time around that day might look like. Um, there's passages, for example, that say that that season when Jesus returns will be marked by wars and rumors of wars. Sound like it could be our time? Do we have rumors of wars? What, like, we're so used to the stories about wars and conflicts now, we don't even know which one you're talking about anymore when you start talking about war, right? Like where? Iraq? Afghanistan? Are we talking about up in uh, the Russian border? Are we talking about Syria? Where are we talking about? We, Nigeria with Boko Haram? What, what are we, what, which war are we dealing with? And it doesn't it seem like used to, at least maybe it's just my limited experience and, and understanding as a kid, but it seemed like there was like one conflict at a time. And now it's just everywhere. Like we live in a completely different age. There is war and rumor of war everywhere. What about hostility in the Middle East? The Bible talks about Jerusalem being unstable. Think that's going on today? Man, we were there about a year and a half ago. It's palpable. Like when you go anywhere in Israel and anywhere in Jerusalem especially, 
The tension is palpable. Like you feel it. There was a gate there that we had gone into. We had like this free day and we took a group and kind of wandered into the Arab quarter inside the old city of Jerusalem and went through to the markets and and all this kind of stuff and found out later there was this massive conflict between Israelis and Palestinians outside the gate that very day with rocks thrown and tear gas went off and gunshots and all kinds of stuff. And we were just like, we we were just there. Like everywhere you go, you would feel that kind of tension. And today, it's even escalating. Now, when you watch the news in Israel, it's not just random terrorist attacks that are used like by well-armed or, or anything like that. Now, you've got people just going to a bus stop with a knife. Have you guys seen this now? Like the, the new wave of attacks that are going on in Israel in the, the conflict between the Arabs and, the, and the, the Israelis in Jerusalem is just going up to a bus stop or a, a street corner. There's soldiers or police officers or wherever. And they, there's just women, just random looking women that will pull knives and literally start just, ma- just disgustingly start stabbing and cutting. And it's, it's gross. And it's become just commonplace. I actually somehow became friends with someone from Israel when we were over there. We never even met them in person, but, but her and her family somehow saw these pictures we were posting on Instagram when we were there. And I still have interactions with them all the time. And she talks about the fact that he couldn't go to school today. Couldn't go to school today. Um, we had, Dad had to drive to work in a helmet. I mean, that's just kind of the nature of the Middle East at that time. And that's not even talking about Syria. Like, I shouldn't keep telling you guys these sort of stories because no one will sign up for our Israel trips anymore. But, but we sweet-talked our tour guide into taking us to the Syrian border just to see it. And so we went up over this hill and come over this hill. You come down the backside and there's the fence and there's a station and there's a Syrian flag hanging on the other side. And it's a place where he's like, let's listen closely and see if you can hear gunshots. Usually you can. Like right there is the Syrian border where this incredible war is going on. And then we have Iran, like Syria is getting so much press, we forget about Iran. And th- there is so much instability in the Middle East at this point right now. Do you, do you think that maybe the, the Bible prophecies about the fact that Israel and the Middle East is going to be such an unstable war-filled place, do you think that could fit in our day and age? I think so. What about the potential and possibility for unified things like one world government and some of that kind of stuff? Does that technology and that ability exist? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're, we may be a sovereign nation, but there's not really genuine sovereign nations in our world in the same way. I mean, anything you do, you're answering to all sorts of world governments. You've got NATO pacts. We've got, um, um, what's the thing called, the big one? The United Nations. We have all these sorts of things. The technology absolutely exists. And then just even simply, there, there's passages in scriptures that talk about that day that talk about natural disasters, about instability, even seems to be some sort of climate or natural instabilities there. D- does that, re- do we not, maybe it's just technology, but it seems like there's an earthquake, flood, or tornado every day. Doesn't it feel that way sometimes? Texas having tornadoes on Christmas. I, I know I'm not young, but I don't remember ever hearing those sorts of things. So like, could you look at those sorts of things? Could you look at the natural disasters that are happening all over the world and say, gosh, it kind of looks like it could be today. Absolutely. Absolutely you could. These are the kind of things that it's described by, but there's one other clue that tends to get ignored. Like, well, we see a lot of those kind of things, and sometimes, especially those that can go a little too far, there's prophecy buffs, there's knowledgeable prophecy people. Then, can we just be honest, church? There's prophecy weirdos, right? There are, and can see those things and start reading everything into everything. The blood moon prophecy thing that was big in the fall is a great example of that, because there was this big gathering and stuff going on online where people were saying, oh, there's this blood moon. It only happens so often. And this means because of this and this and this, that this is when Jesus is coming in September, 2015. And there were people, even church leaders in the United States, not our church leader or anyone we're associated with, but there were some church leaders that were just going crazy with this whole blood moon thing. And, and someone asked them one time, they were like, that's really interesting. And there's an actual interview. You could see it. And they're asking this guy about it. Like, so um, I, I have a question about the blood moon thing. And he says, yeah, go ahead. He says, okay, so you're saying that this should be a sign to Israel that Jesus is going to return and they need to repent and all this kind of stuff. And he says, yes, it's a sign. It's the Messiah is coming. This is a sign to the Jewish people so they would know. Awesome. The only problem is this. The blood moon is a Western hemisphere phenomenon. It doesn't actually appear as a blood moon in the Middle East. So how can you explain that? And he goes, um, 
I don't have an answer for that right now. Next question. Like, you got to be careful. Like, we can grab this stuff and run so far with it. And we as Americans, I do believe, have a tendency to want to interpret American events and our potential, like where we live, our, our uh, cultural climate that we're in right now, and want to interpret these things into, you got to be careful with these things. So, so even in that, here's my disclaimer. When we read these things and we see this, we go, could it be now? Could it? Could Jesus come now? Yes, you can say yes. Could, could Jesus come now? Yes, he could. Is Jeff picking today? No. This is what the season looks like. And so we can get so caught up in some of those things and get so enraptured huh, in some of those kind of things. But here's one we forget that I think is important that we consider. The Bible doesn't just describe political unrest, war, rumors of war, all that kind of stuff. But, but there's this picture of the wickedness and sin that exists in the world at the time. Take a look at 2 Timothy 3. It says, understand this. Then in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them, there are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Do any of those things sound familiar like the day and age that we live in? All of them do. I mean, there is a undeniable... um, proclivity towards wickedness in our day and age. Just everywhere. ISIS, I mean, not forget just the political or the religious ramifications of the war going on over there. Just look at what's happening. The, the, the blazon, broadcast murders of innocent people, not soldiers fighting soldiers, but soldiers brutally murdering innocent people and making sure the world watches. Look at Boko Haram. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys know about this. I just saw a story this week where they had gone into a village and they had kidnapped some women and they had taken, speaking of coming in, capturing these weak women in these vulnerable positions and, and taking advantage of them. These women were taken away. They were raped. They were just totally taken advantage of. And then eventually these, this one group of women was released. And so this one gal had returned back to her village and it comes out that she was pregnant with the baby that she had because she was raped while she was in captivity to this, this terrorist group. And she decided to keep the baby. And the entire village then totally shunned her and would have nothing to do with her because she was having a baby that was because of that. Well, that's wickedness too. Like we, we see wickedness being responded to by wickedness, sin causing sin in response. It's unbelievable. The violence in America, look at the increasing violence we see in our own culture now. It's not over there, it's here. And I'm, I'm not going into a political why or how we respond to it, but the wickedness and violence is clearly available, is it not? It's right here on our own streets. I mean, it was right up the road, right? There's horrors being done to children, uh, Kay Culp works with CASA. She spoke to the women's thing in December. If you guys uh, were there to be a part of that, go ask her sometime about the things that happen to children in the Rogue Valley. Go ask her about the horrors that happen to children right here in our own valley. Wickedness is pervasive. The things that we see in this list right here, they're everywhere. And he says, those are the last days. Could, could that be today? Absolutely, that could be today. That there's one other clue that the Bible gives us to that's worth throwing in. What is it going to look like? What's the culture going to look like on the day that Jesus returns again? Jesus is going to return again at a time when everyone else thinks we're crazy for waiting for Jesus to return again. Look at First Peter, Second Peter, excuse me. Second Peter 3 says this. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, 
following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, we have seen all over the place, there's been these seasons. How many of you remember um, in the early 90s, in the first Iraq war, when everyone thought, this is it. This is the war that's kicking it all off. Jesus is going to be here any day now. Do you guys remember that? It was a pretty prominent message. Some of you are raising your hands. Others don't want to raise your hand, but you remember. So that wasn't it. And then there was the second Gulf War. We had 9-11. There's been the Infantata in Israel. There's, there's been all of these sorts of things. And we go, this is it, this is it. Well, that's not going to be it. This is it, this is it. No, this is, isn't it. But here's something that's interesting and, and in one way could be discouraging for you to know. Every generation of the church of Jesus Christ, since Jesus ascended into heaven, has thought, this is it. Every generation. The people that Paul was writing to in, this, in these last days when he said, beware, they were like, okay, we're ready. Every generation has thought this. Now, this is good because the idea is we should be ready. We should, we're going to see a scripture in a minute that we're ready and prepared on the day that Jesus arrives so that we're not embarrassed or ashamed at his coming. We are to live every day as if we're anticipating the second coming of Christ. But, but there is a drawback to that in that when it happens and then it didn't happen, it becomes sort of a boy who cried wolf kind of thing. You guys remember that story? Eventually, no one cares, no one listens because wolf got cried so many times. And, and so over and over and over, and in our current climate, when, when this has been a big part of our culture, even in the last 20, 30 years with the left behind and all that kind of stuff, like it, people have heard that stuff over and over and over. And, and so now it's, it's mocked and it's ridiculed. And I don't mean just making fun of the most recent Left Behind movie, that Nicolas Cage garbage that came out. But I mean, like, that deserved to be mocked, okay? And if you watched it, so do you. But, um, <laughs> no. But, but I mean, sincerely, like, there, there are people that would think that there, there's people in this room that are hearing the things I'm saying and talking about and thinking, that's the dumbest thing. I have ever heard in my life. What kind of supernatural make-believe garbage is this? And this is growing everywhere in our culture right now. I actually, uh, right before Christmas, met with a young gal at our church who's going to uh, RCC here locally. And she was in a conversation with a coworker, and they were talking about Advent. They were talking about the Christmas season, all this kind of stuff. And, and somehow the, the Virgin Mary got brought up or got mentioned. And this one gal who's not a believer, had not been to church, didn't have anything to do with it. She goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying, you believe that this woman never had sex, had a baby. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's just basic Christian doctrine. Hold on. You're saying you believe that this baby was born miraculously. No intercourse, no nothing, just one day, baby. That's what you're saying. And she's like, yeah, we believe this. And she literally kept pushing. She's like, no, so, hold on. So you're saying... You, you don't just believe this, but you base everything you do off the belief that, that this woman, without ever having intercourse, being a virgin, got pregnant and had a baby. You base your whole life off of this belief system. Like, this, amen. There you go. <laughs> Someone's like, yep, yep. Well, I, I have to admit, now I, I corrected her just a little bit because she said, yes, yes, we do. And I said, hold, hold on. Actually, we don't. In the sense that, we don't base our entire belief system off the Virgin Mary and the Immaculate Conception. We base our entire belief system off the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because people, even in that day, were asking Jesus, show me a sign. Show me a sign. If you, say, if you are who you say you are, you're going to do all this. Show me a sign. He said, one sign I'll give you. Destroy this temple, speaking of his body. Three days later, I will raise it up again. So Jesus himself put the mark on the death, burial, and resurrection of himself. And he said... This is what's going to happen. This will prove to you that I am God. This will prove to you. This is the sign that I'm giving you. So we base everything on that. If you're saying, do you really believe God created the earth? You don't believe in evolution or whatever? How could you believe that? Look, I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died and was rose again, that he ascended into heaven, that he died from us. That's what I believe. And he taught all this other stuff. But he did this. Anyone that can do this, I'm in. If a guy tells me, hey, I'm going to die three days later, I'm going to raise again, 
I will believe any other thing that comes out of his mouth if he can pull that off. He said, I'm God, here's how I'll show you to this. So, so that's the basis of our faith, amen? That's the basis. The basis of your salvation and the basis of your faith is not Bible prophecy. It is not when Jesus returns. It, that's not the basis. The basis of our faith is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you gotta understand, more and more, like there was a time in our culture where our beliefs were just considered almost normal, even by people that didn't accept them. But that's not the case anymore. There's a whole generation of people out there now that have never grown up in the church. They don't know any of this stuff. They start hearing you talking about rapture and second coming and, and rider on a, on a horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, and they'll think you're insane. And so there's gonna be scoffers. But the Bible over and over and over is encouraging us and reminding us, look, you're, you're going to be mocked for it, but have faith. No, they're, they're ignorant of these things, the passage goes on to say, but this stuff's going to happen. Church, heritage family, listen, Jesus Christ is coming again. It's going to happen. Whether I'm alive to see it or not, Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen, if you're with me on this? Okay, so if we believe this, that's got to affect something though, right? Like, if you really in your mind believe that's going to happen, that's got to have some sort of effect on you. How can you just carry on living with no regard whatsoever to the fact that any moment the sky might literally rip apart? That any moment everything we know could change? That any moment, every relationship you have with everyone else on earth could either shift completely or end forever. That one day, the king of kings is coming and he's coming in a robe dipped in blood to judge wickedness, to rescue and restore his people and to end evil and wickedness forever and ever. Like if that's real, if you really believe that's going to happen, it's got to affect you somewhere. It has to. So what should we look like? What, how should it affect us? Jeff, what are we supposed to look like? Here, here's what I believe, and I'm just gonna give you three things today. There's a whole lot of areas that you could extrapolate this some into, but I tried to like reduce it down to just three general things that we could talk about, and then we'll be done today, okay? The first one is this. Church, if you really believe that Jesus is coming again, and do you believe, church? All right, if you really believe that Jesus is coming again, Here's some great advice to you from the scriptures. Be holy. Pursue holiness. Not to impress him when he comes, but because the scriptures in response to the goodness of God and as an example to those in the world around us that desperately need it, I'm encouraging you, be holy. The same passage we're here in 2 Peter goes on to say this in verse 10. 2 Peter 3 verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will pass away with a roar. Heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness, godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Be holy. Like understand that the king who's coming has called us into a new way of living. The God who is coming has sent his Holy Spirit to mold us to a greater and greater and greater degree into the image of Jesus Christ himself. And the scriptures say that on that day when we see him, we will be like him. But to that end, be ready. It says be awake. Be lives of holiness and godliness. 1 John two twenty eight says this, And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Like, if you only needed one reason to choose to pursue a life of holiness, a life of, of biblical morality, those who are Christians, if you only needed one reason, then know this, 
He's coming. Jesus is coming. One day, that sky will rip in half. And the same grandmother who used to say to me, well, it's over at the end of Christmas, also used to say, is that what you want to do when Jesus comes back? (laughs) Silly, could be manipulative, could be controlling, absolutely true. He's coming. He's coming back. And we need to pursue a life of holiness, not just for our sake, but, but think about this. To be holy as God is holy is also to be what? Merciful, generous, kind, loving. What does the rest of the world that doesn't have Jesus desperately need from the church of Jesus Christ right now? Warnings that they're going to burn in hell? Or do they need someone to come alongside them and show them the mercy of God, the love of God, the kindness of God? Teach them about the judgment of God, but teach them about the love, kindness, and grace. The scriptures say it is his kindness that leads to repentance. And so it's not just about holiness so that we're proud when he gets here. But it's about pursuing a life of holiness, meaning living like God is, displaying the attributes of God, which are also mercy, love, compassion, kindness. Church, he's coming again. He is coming. Amen? So be holy. Number two, be the church. Be the church. It sounds silly, but consider Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Guys, we are in an age of increasing um, individualism, personal independence, your faith is a personal thing. We don't, it's just about you and you don't deal with other. That's a personal thing. And we live in a day and age where we are increasingly separated and insulated from everyone else around us. But for the church, it ought not be so. This is something we have studied hard in the book of Ephesians lately. The idea that the body of Christ is joined together in unity. And here we're even told in the book of Hebrews that as that day draws near, hey, gather together, be the church, encourage one another, love one another. You're going to need one another. Like You need the people in the church to come and talk to when the people outside the church are calling you an idiot for believing in some of the things that we believe. Because let's just be honest, we have seasons of doubt, don't we? Like, if you were to be really honest with me, some of you, when I told that story that that girl was dealing with, where someone's going, wait a minute, wait a minute, you believe this, that, that she never had sex and somehow got pregnant? Some of you, even in that moment, went, gosh, that is kind of crazy. Is this, some of you hearing some of these things, wait, the sky's just going to burst open, he's going to come. Some of that, let's just be honest, some of it sounds a little, a little supernatural. Because it is. And we need the church. We need to encourage one another to continue for holiness. We need to continue to encourage one another, to serve one another, to love one another. We desperately need the church and we need the unity of the church because it is when the church is gathered together and then expressing all the different attributes of God through the different giftings that each of you have, that's how the world best sees the complete revelation of what Jesus Christ is like. Like, they're not just going to see the hand. It's not just that they see the feet. But the idea is that as the church loves and serves one another and loves and serves the world around it, they would see Jesus, all of him, with Jesus himself being the head. So be the church. You want a New Year's resolution? I'll challenge you on this one. And it's one of those things I almost sometimes get almost like ashamed about because, oh, they're just going to think, oh, of course, he's the pastor. He's just being manipulative, trying to get everybody there on Sundays, et cetera, et cetera. But listen, be the church. Like, you need to gather together with the church. In, in, in the corporate gatherings, outside, you need fellowship with one another. You need to find community groups. You need to find connections within the church. You need them. And the Bible's telling us, look, on that last day, more than ever, gather 
Encourage one another. Love one another. You're going to need it. We have got to, as the church, push back against individualism and push towards community. It is what the church is designed to be. Amen? And then the third one is this, and we'll be done. Everyone's favorite, but the most important. Be a witness. Just think about it. It could totally and justifiably be asked, what is he waiting for? You got, there's scoffers out there that are making fun of us. They're saying, well, he's not going to come. He's not going to come. And what we would really wish sometimes in our heart is like, oh yeah, boom, there he is. What you got now? Right? He could just do that and it'd be over, right? And the wars would be over. The terrorism would be over. The violence would be over. Cancer would be over. All of this stuff, if he would just return, he could get us out of all of this mess. He could fix everything. It would be over. What's he waiting for? Because let's just be honest. It's been a long time, right? It's been a long time since Paul told people, hey, in the last days, they're going to make fun of you for believing this. And they're going to say, oh, when's he coming? You always say that, but everything's always the same. That was few thousand years ago and and we're still here and we're still waiting what is he waiting for second peter 3 9 the lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but he is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance the only reason jesus hasn't already bust through the sky is because he's still desiring to save people. It's the only reason. The only reason is he is still desiring to save people. Throughout history, I told you before, there have been so many people that have set dates. He'll be here then. And, and some, like notably, godly people. John Wesley said that Jesus would return by 1836. That's been a while. Um, Joseph Smith, the Mormon Joseph Smith, if you want one more reason not to follow him, they call him a prophet. Well, he's a false prophet because he said 1891, still here. Um, Even Chuck Smith, beloved Chuck Smith, wrote a book, End Times, a Report on Future Survival, and he said, based on my knowledge of biblical prophecy, I am convinced the Lord will return for his church before the end of 1981. It's been a while. Why is he waiting? Let me ask you this. How many people, show of hands, met Jesus since 1981? Raise your hand. Nice and high. Since, it should be most people in here, I would think. And most, aren't you glad he waited? Aren't you glad he waited? Isn't it worth the mocking? Isn't it worth the disappointment? Isn't it worth the frustration? He waited because he patiently loved you and you and you and so he said not yet there's this dude in Asheville North Carolina and he is going to need grace more than anyone on this earth and his grandmother and all her manipulation ain't going to save him so I so I will and he called me by name Jeff come aboard that's why he's waited it's the only reason he's waited so so church what's our program in this. The way Jesus tells people about Jesus is through the church. This is the salvation plan. It's plan A. There is no plan B, as has been said before. The Spirit working through the church and working through the Word of God is the mechanism by which people are being saved. And the only reason Jesus hasn't come today is there's people out there still that he wants to save. There's people in this room right now he wants to save. And he is graciously waiting. And, and this is one of those things, look, I've had many reluctancies to, to preach and to teach about uh, Bible prophecy and stuff for, for a lot of reasons. Number one, there are teachers even in this valley that are infinitely better at this and know infinitely more about it than I am. I'm still studying and learning some of these kind of things. So, so that's one. Number two, I, I, just be honest, I said it before, prophecy can lead to some weirdness. Like we've seen it culturally, we've seen it out there that some people that go too far with the prophecy thing just get weird placards, that kind of stuff, right? Just gets weird. Um, another one, the arrogancy, 
can I just be honest, the arrogancy that a lot of people have concerning their own views with regards to end times, the, the way that I've seen people even within the church of Christ who one guy believes this and one guy believes this and they just with anger and animosity and pride and arrogancy talk down on one another about some of those things. I don't wanna feed that, I just don't like it. Um, but, but one of the other reasons too is that, that it can become, and in some circles in our culture, at least in recent history, it has become sort of the dominant expression of what Christianity is even all about. The Left Behind series and all those kind of things. Like for some people, their whole Christian world is really encompassed by Bible prophecy and what's going on in Israel and what's the latest podcasts say. And so you have these groups of people that God bless them and their heart may be fine in this, but, but holding the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other hand and just waiting. And just waiting. But I just don't think that's what we're supposed to do. With all due respect to those that would disagree with me, I don't think that's our job. What are we supposed to do? Finally, Acts chapter one. Look at Acts chapter one really quick. Don't freak, I'm gonna be done in just a second. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So he says, hey, the day that Jesus went up, he ascended into heaven right after having given some commands to the apostles. Now, those of you, again, we're talking to the church family here. Everyone else listen in. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus took the men out on a hill and he gave some parting instruction to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. Let's continue on. He says, verse three, he presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them, don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now look at verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Do you see right there, right from the very beginning, the church was going, is it now? Is now the time when everything's over and you restore everything? Is it today? And look what Jesus says, verse seven. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my, what's that word? Witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's a prophetic statement. Think about that. Here's this guy that just got murdered and what's left of his followers, and he's telling them, you guys are gonna be messengers and witnesses about me to the ends of the earth. And guys, listen, if you're in Jerusalem then, Medford, Oregon is about as ends of the earth as it can possibly get from Jerusalem, right? And here we are, Bible proven true once again. Everybody, amen? Okay, so now look, you're gonna be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and all the earth. And then look what happens. Verse nine, and when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So Jesus ascends into heaven where he is still to this day. And look what they do. Verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. So picture it, okay? Use your imagination. It's good to use your imagination when you read the Bible. Here you are on the hill, follower of Jesus. He ascends into heaven and is gone. And everyone's kind of like, he's just gone. He's just, do you see him? He's just, I mean, everyone's just sort of still staring into the heavens and look what happens. These angels appear, two men appear, stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. So here's the picture. He's just gone. When's he gonna come back? He didn't tell us. He didn't tell us what day, but I mean, is he just gone? What do we do? And then these angels appear. And they're like, what are you guys doing? What? What are you doing? What? Jesus just disappeared into the sky, just ascended. Did you see it? Who are you anyway? Where'd you come from? But he just ascended and, and he's just gone. And what do they say? Hey, he's coming again. He's coming. He said he was gonna come. He's coming. Did he give you something to do in the meantime? 
oh yeah, we better go to Jerusalem, boys. We have some work to do. And that's the beginning of the church. And from that moment, the church becomes the witness of Jesus Christ throughout the rest of the world. And so here's what I believe. The church still exists to this day and we are still here to this day. And Jesus hasn't yet returned to this day for one reason and one reason only. He is merciful and desires to save more people. And we are the vessel by which that happens. So if we allow Bible prophecy to become the thing that we just stare at, it's no different than putting all your hope in Christmas. But, but those things are supposed to point to something else. Bible prophecy is not the end. Jesus is the end. And when he comes again, he is our Lord and our King. And church, our Lord and our King has graciously invited us to be a part of his program and commanded us to be part of his program to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. Because there are people everywhere that on that day when that sky rips open, it's too late for them. The Jesus that comes in wrath, the Jesus that comes with the sword, with the robe dipped in blood, it will be too late for them. So think right now, who do you know? Like forget ends of the earth, Judea and Samaria, that's local. Who do you know? Who do you know in your world right now? Who are the family members that don't know Jesus? Who are the neighbors that don't know Jesus? And what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do about that? You're gonna talk about football. You're gonna talk about playoffs. You're gonna talk about Christmas gifts. You're gonna talk about snow and weather and El Nino. And you're gonna talk about all those other things. But will you talk about the only thing that actually matters in the end? Will you do that? They need it but I'm afraid they'll be offended. I'm afraid they'll die. Will you tell them? And then church, if you don't know anyone in your immediate circle that's not a believer, you are way too insulated as a Christian. You've gotta go out there and meet some people that don't know Jesus. That might take some planning. Believe me, I understand that. Like I live in the Christian bubble. I'm always meeting with church people. I'm always planning church events. I'm, I understand that. Like it takes effort for me to get outside of the church world to meet someone who doesn't know Jesus. But it's desperately important. And I'll close by telling you this one last little story. So there was a time a while back where um, there was someone that was going to our church and I was just having all sorts of issues. The guy was just, he doesn't go here anymore so I can talk about him. But um, just, just never happy, always upset about this and mad about this and arguing about this. And it was just a constant thing. And there was this one night that uh, Pastor Jeremy and his wife and me and my wife and a group of friends, um, we all got together and we went to Bricktown, down in town, downtown Medford, like a pub and grill. And they were having like this uh, uh, trivia night thing. And you'd play as a table. Ah, it'd be fun. Let's play some trivia games and stuff all there. It's like, I don't know. It's like five o'clock on a Tuesday, right? So, so there we are. And my phone starts buzzing as this is going on. And I'm getting messages from this guy. And he's just mad about this, mad about that, whatever the thing was. And, and um, if you don't know me really well, man, I, I assure you, like m by nature, I'm a people pleaser. So when people are disgruntled, when I get that kind of stuff, it, it affects me. Like I, I'm not one of those that's just like, oh, whatever. Like I, I have to process stuff. And, and so when that stuff started coming through, my wife could even tell in the moment something bad just came through the phone. Because like my whole mood just shifted. You know how that can happen? Like you're in the middle of something and now suddenly somebody's talking to you but you didn't even hear them anymore. Like you're just sort of consumed with this thing that's going on, right? And, and so I didn't want to ruin her night either or anyone else's and I was just like, no, it's fine, it's fine. Just don't worry about it, don't worry about it. Not saying anything. Well, next up comes the music portion of the trivia competition that were there, the, the music portion. And you're supposed to pick two people from your table and go up to where the bar area is in that particular restaurant. And um, that's where you're supposed to go. And they're going to play this music that's all mashed together. And you're supposed to try to figure out who the two bands were. And um, they picked Jeremy's wife and they picked me. And uh, cause I, I, I listen to all kinds of music. I love all kinds of music. Don't send me your emails. I, I just, I, I listen to lots of different music. So they sent me and they send Crystal. And so we go up to the bar area and I was like discouraged. Like I was just like, <sighs> and so I got there to the bar and I'm standing there and they're playing the music. And about two songs in, I realized I'm way too old for this game because I don't recognize any of these songs. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but, I, but I'm looking around the bar and there were people that were playing the game. You could see them, they're huddled together with their pieces of paper or whatever. But, but then there were people that were just sitting at the bar. 
And there were some people in there, five o'clock on a Tuesday, smashed, like just ruined. You know what I mean? Way too many. Like bartenders, seriously? Like it was bad. And then my phone's buzzing again. And I, I, I picked up the phone, I looked at that, and it was like, I'm not one of those, like, the voice of the Lord broke through and he spoke to me. I'm not that guy. I've never had that experience. But it was about as close to that for me as I've ever experienced. It was as if the Lord said to me in that moment, Here, here's this going on in my hand. And then I look around at these people that are just wasted around this bar. And it was like, you know what, Jeff? You spend so much time worrying and stressing and fretting about the opinions of this guy. And, and whether he likes you or not, whether he likes your church or not, whether he likes the decision of the church or not, he knows me. And even if he leaves mad, he's going to go somewhere else. He's going to worship Jesus. He's going to be fine. Grumpy, but fine. But who's worrying about these people? Who's thinking about that girl right there that can barely stand up straight? Because he's going to go on to glory. She's going to die. Who's going to share the gospel with her? So church... Here's a New Year's resolution I'll challenge you on. Find people who don't know Jesus. Befriend them. Be kind to them. Be holy. Show that there's a different way. Show that Jesus is real, that he changes lives, that he saves, that he's the hope we desperately need in a dark, dark, dark world. Show them, teach them he is coming again. Teach them that apart from his salvation, they will die, but love them and teach people about Jesus. They need it. They need it. And evangelism and sharing the gospel is one of the things that people in the church and we as the church hate to talk to the most. And the reason is because we're uncomfortable and we're cowards. Get over it. Jesus is coming again. He's coming. And the people around you that don't know Jesus, they will die. That has to matter. Amen? That has to matter, church. It has to. So let's stand and pray and just ask God for grace in this year to accomplish the mission he's called us to.